Well, as I told you um, last week or week before, uh, I wouldn't have enough Sundays up here to go verse by verse through 1 Timothy. So I told you I would be cherry picking a few messages uh, that touch on things that I'd love to leave you with. And one of them is this morning, and uh, I actually skipped ahead to 2 Timothy. And we're going to look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through the fifth verse of chapter 4. I entitled this Bible study, Persevere. And I want you to know that this, this book, 2 Timothy, was the last epistle that Paul wrote before his martyrdom. And Paul was in a Roman prison by his own words that you see towards the end of chapter 4. Uh, he was lonely and he was forsaken by many of his followers. And in his closing days before he would go to meet his Lord and Savior, his concern was for the ongoing health of the church, the greater church of the time, because it was a time when apostasy in the form of legalism and other different uh, her heretical teachings and worldliness were, were eating at the church from the inside and persecution was banging on the door from the outside. And Paul saw a danger that was posed to these newly minted Christians in becoming feeble in their faith because of these pressures and these challenges that were coming at the church. And as Paul described in the first verses of chapter 3 of this epistle, they were living in perilous times. I've chosen this passage this morning as one of the last ones that I'll give you uh, because I believe that we too are living in perilous times. And my concern is for this church, this church, because I love you people and, and I've put my life into this church for 20 years and and many churches, as we look around the greater church of our time, they've abandoned the focus on the Holy Scriptures. They've turned their attention to preaching on social issues. Some people even term it the social gospel. And there's been a, a, a growing reluctance in the greater church to call out sin and to stand firm on what the Bible tells us is sin. We've seen a movement towards the highest virtue being inclusion of every sort of behavior or lifestyle at the expense of revealed truth. And Christians who are willing to speak and teach the truth are, are continually and increasingly being marginalized and criticized and even worse. The 21st century Christian faces many of the same perils that Paul's talking about in this passage. And this is my concern for this church. We're made up of people of our time. And we are subject to all of these pressures and these challenges. And so as Paul is speaking to fortify Timothy, he gives him an action plan for how to stand firm in the faith and to stay on the mission that Jesus Christ has given to us. We're called, as we'll see in the text, to be instant in season and out of season and to preach the word, this word, not a word of our own imagination. We must preach the truth whether we think the time is right or not. And in chapter 3, in the beginning of chapter 4, we hear Paul's exhortation to Timothy to persevere in the spreading of the gospel in perilous times. 
And that's my message to you as well. Persevere means to continue in a course of action even in the face of great difficulty, especially when success seems doubtful. And so Paul's message to Timothy in this passage we're going to study this morning, it has four elements to it. And these elements are ones we, are, we do well to keep in mind. First of all, Paul tells Timothy to follow the right example. And we'll see what we mean by that. Secondly, the challenge that we face from false teaching. Timothy and the church that he was leading at the time in Ephesus, it's the same challenge we face. False teaching has always come at the church from many directions. Thirdly, the remedy for overcoming the lies of the enemy that keep us from knowing the Lord. And you can guess what that remedy is. And then finally, he reminds Timothy of the mission that we're on, which I've already alluded to, which is to preach the word. And so if you would stand with me, and right now we'll read 2 Timothy chapter 3, between verses 10 and 17. And later we'll pick up the first five verses of chapter 4. Here's what it says. But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured. And out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and have been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. And that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for the example of Jesus, who then was followed by Paul. And we look to you, Lord, as Paul did for our example. And we look to you, Lord, as Paul did for our doctrine. Lord, I pray over this beautiful church that you have created, Lord. And I pray that our doctrine would never stray from that which you've given us. I pray that the example that would be followed by the men and women of this church would never vary from Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, the Lion, the Lamb, our Redeemer, And so, Father, as your servant, to speak this message to your precious people, I pray, Lord, that nothing would issue forth from my heart or my lips, but that which you want your people to hear this morning. I pray this all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, there in verse 10, Paul is is reminding Timothy that he has followed carefully, and Paul says, my doctrine. Now, when Paul says my doctrine, he's not referring to anything that originated with him. What he is referring to, as you might guess, is the doctrine that he received directly from Jesus Christ. If you want to know whether he actually heard from Jesus Christ or not, you can look through the book of Acts and you would clearly see that when Paul and Peter meet up, both of whom have been called to preach the gospel and most especially to Gentile peoples, 
Peter and Paul were not mates, okay? They didn't hang out together. They didn't have a history before their coming to Christ. And yet when they met up, they found that they both were teaching precisely the same thing. And that's because both men heard directly from Jesus Christ. And both men, in living out this doctrine, they did so. They stayed true to their doctrine at enormous cost to themselves. If we look at Paul's case, for example, he paid a dear price for being the vessel of the Holy Spirit and to develop and teach a doctrine that he would bring not only to his people, the Jews, but he would bring to Gentile people. And he would be bringing a message of salvation by grace through faith, not through adherence to the law, which had been the exclusive province of the Jewish people. And now all of a sudden, Paul is bringing a message of salvation through the grace of God apprehended by faith. And this message to the Gentiles that Paul brought, it cost him dearly. It cost him his position as a Pharisee, which was a very prominent, prestigious position. It probably cost him considerable wealth. Many scholars believe it probably cost him his marriage. Because as a Pharisee, it would be typical for a Pharisee to be married. And yet we see no mention or involvement of of a wife for Paul, which probably means he lost her for the sake of serving the Lord. And nevertheless, he never abandoned that doctrine. He never corrupted it. We see there also that he tells Timothy that he has carefully followed Paul's manner of life. Now, it's relatively easy to ask a person, uh, tell me, what do you believe? And most people who have thought about it a little bit would be able to tell you pretty instantly what they believe or what they say they believe. It's quite another thing to discover discover whether or not they live according to what they believe. Many people will profess faith, they will will act, act it out in public, but in private, perhaps they live a completely different way. Paul was not such a person. And he could say with total confidence to Timothy that you have followed and will follow my manner of life because Paul and Timothy were were travel partners, okay? They traveled a lot together. And from many, many years of travel myself, I know that when you travel with people over an extended period of time, buddy, you get to know them real well, especially if you have the unfortunate experience of sharing a hotel room with them or sharing a, a, a VW van with them. Michelle and I traveled back and forth across the country for about six years in a VW van with a bunch of other people. We were itinerant Frisbee competitors. We know those people really well. And they know us really well, which is why they were stunned when they heard I came to faith. But anyway, that's another story. Um, But Paul and Timothy, they traveled a lot together. And Paul lived out his faith before this young man. Paul did not preach sacrifice and yet refused to live sacrificially. He didn't He didn't preach about self-denial and then live extravagantly. Paul lived exactly what he taught. And this this is one of the most powerful things we can do as believers. Many of us believers stress over, well, gee, I don't know if I know enough scripture to share the gospel with anybody. Well, how about this? How about just living the scripture you know? And people see that. It's the first gospel anybody receives is how you live. And this was the way that Paul did this. Jesus, the the gold standard for this. You know, the Pharisees, they wanted to accuse Jesus of having an evil spirit because of the things that they presumed that he taught. 
And yet Jesus said this in John 18, 20. He said, I spoke openly to the world. I always taught in synagogues and in the temple where the Jews always beat. And in secret, I've said nothing. He never had two messages. He didn't say one thing when he was in front of people for show and then do something and teach something else when he was uh, undercover. He never lived in any way that was inconsistent with what he taught. You know, it's funny, but often the sign of a cult is a group of people who make a lot of noise about certain tenets of what they believe. And then when they are off in their own little world, it's something quite different. And this is how they draw people in. They draw people in with something that sounds really good. It sounds almost like truth. But then when folks get involved with this kind of thing, they realize that it's not quite what they heard. And you know, this is a challenge for us as far as living, living out what we believe. You know, some people live out, live out a certain way in front of people and then they acted less than Christian way behind the scenes. Well, we could be guilty of the reverse. You've probably heard the term before, the chameleon Christian. Chameleon is a creature that is able to change its external markings and color to blend in with its surroundings. And the thing we never want to be is the Christian version of that. When we're together here in the four walls of the church and we're amening and brothering and sistering and singing and all of that, man, we are just lily white, perfect Christians. But when you walk out of this door and now you're on your campus or now you're in your, your office environment or now you're on the job as a construction worker or whatever you do, and the people around you are decidedly not this group of people. That's the challenge to, to live out your manner of life as a Christian. To just be transparent, to live transparently. Goodness gracious, it's such a relief to live that way. You don't have to worry about what lie you're trying to keep up with uh, in, in any given moment. Just live out the gospel. And this is something that he, he told Timothy about. He, he also references his purpose. And Paul's example uh, in terms of purpose must have been puzzling to Timothy at times. Because Timothy, I'm sure, had seen plenty of religious people who were drawing their living from their ministry, whether it was a legitimate ministry or a charlatan ministry. He saw that people who preached and people who ministered drew their living from what they were doing. And yet they saw Paul and his purpose was so pure and so concerned was he not to corrupt that purpose that Paul was not willing, although he was entitled, he was not willing to take his living from preaching the gospel. You see, he wanted to be a pristine example with absolutely no possibility of people accusing him of guile or trying to make personal gain. And so even though he taught that a pastor or a Bible teacher was, was due honor from the people he taught, that is to say a living, he wouldn't take it for himself. Instead, he continued to work in his trade, which was making tents. And not only did he support himself, but often he supported the men that traveled with him. And this was something that I'm sure 
Timothy started to think about and he realized that what Paul had said in Philippians 1.21 was exactly who he was. Paul said there, for, for to me, that is to me, Paul, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul took little, little, um, he took little interest in drawing attention to himself. You realize that Paul the Apostle wrote most of the New Testament. Many of the words in the New Testament are sermons that he gave or testimonies that he gave. And they are among the most powerful words in all of Scripture. And yet, Paul never, you don't see any accounts of Paul preaching to massive crowds. Jesus spoke to crowds of thousands. Peter, on the day of Pentecost, preached to thousands. Thousands got saved. Paul might never have preached to a group as large as this one. He was a church planner. He was a mentor. He was a Bible teacher. He was the theologian. And he built the church one heart, one man at a time. His purpose was Jesus, period. He never did anything to draw attention to himself. He didn't need to. He got plenty of attention of the wrong kind. He, he talks about it right here in verses 11 and 12. When he talks about perseverance in verse 10 and long-suffering and faith and love, he goes on in verse 11 to say, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me in Antioch, in, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured. Well, if you look at Acts chapter 13, it tells us that Paul was tossed out of Antioch. He was preaching. They hated him for it. They threw him out of the place. So in Acts chapter 14, we learn that at Iconium, Paul was threatened with stoning for preaching the word. So then Paul moved to Lystra. And there, he encounters people from Iconium and Antioch who followed him there and convinced the locals to actually stone him, which they did. And then they ultimately threw his body outside the city, probably on the garbage heap, presuming him to be dead. And of course, the Lord supernaturally restored him to health. As Paul says there in verse 12, and this is a, a verse you, you do well to tattoo on your forehead. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. All. As it's often said, all means all. Are you a person who desires to live godly in Christ Jesus in these perilous times? That's a question. Remember that? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. When we think about that verse, we have to think about what does that mean? Well, Paul's telling us right here what it means. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Now, Paul speaks of a challenge here, and this is, to me as a Bible teacher, this is the most troubling aspect of what we see in the world today. Deception, false doctrine. Look at verse 13. Evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. You know, deception is not new. In fact, it is the original ungodly thing that entered creation. Genesis 3, chapter 1. 
Here's Satan approaching Eve, giving her a value proposition for eating the forbidden fruit. And he says, hath God indeed said, you shall not eat of every, every tree of the garden? Has God really said that? The greatest lawyer who ever lived, and this pains me to say it, Satan. Satan knows the word of God far better than most Christians. Maybe all of us, I don't know. But I know that the way in which he leads Christians into sin very often comes from lawyering the word of God. Rationalization, that process by which we create reason to do what we want to do comes right from the pit of hell. Because the Lord has told us everything we need to know for life and godliness. And it is the enemy who seeks to discredit and to confuse the truth of scripture. And what Paul is telling us here is there's never been any shortage of evil men and imposters who are willing to deceive because they themselves are deceived. And this is a problem that Paul was saying in the first century is growing worse and worse. And ladies and gentlemen, we have seen very clearly with our own eyes and have heard with our own ears in this time how things have gone so far off the track. And I'm not even talking about in the world. In the world, we could expect that because the world is not beholden to Jesus Christ. They do not give him thanks and praise for their salvation because they don't have it, because they do not want to come to the light. They, they prefer the darkness. But we, inside the professing church, find many who are willing to deceive because they themselves are deceived. And it's heartbreaking to watch. If you skip down to verses 3 and 4 in chapter 4, we see why this happens. And this might even be more troubling than the fact that it does happen. He says, therefore, the time will come when they, who's they? People. They will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. The underlying reason why people embrace false doctrine is because that false doctrine has been designed to appeal to their desires and their lusts. People will go after believing what they want to believe. People will look for a theology that lets them be who they are and pander to their predilections without guilt or shame. And so people will um, be drawn to any teacher who's willing to stand up and to speak something different from the truth. What's the truth? We're all sinners. We're all sinners born in condemnation. There is none who does right, no, not one. All have fallen short of the glory of God. That's what the scripture tells us. That's not what the, that's not what the feel-good preachers of our day tell us. In fact, they're telling you how to be a better you, not how to be a better bondservant, but how to be a better you. And as a better you, 
You don't need to worry about the guilt of sin. You don't need to feel the shame of sin. You don't need to have uh, repentance in your heart. You don't need to seek a savior because you got it covered. And that's what people want to hear. Itching ears is the way he describes it. Itching because I've got this, this irritation of this. This is irritating me because it's calling me a sinner. It's demanding I repent. That makes me uncomfortable. Oh, here comes a theology I can, I, can, I can sign up for. This is why I always get a little bit suspicious and concerned whenever the truth of Scripture, or at least the purported truth of Scripture, is turned into entertainment. A few years ago, back in like 2009 or thereabouts, the book The Shack just exploded onto the scene. It became one of the most popular books of the time. Sold millions and millions of copies. Completely corrupted scripture. The message of scripture. Completely emasculated the concept of sin. And these kind of things become popular because people have itching ears. Well, he provides a remedy, and it's the one you might, you might imagine. Picking up in verse 14. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and have been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, stopping right there. What you're seeing right there is the value, the pure gold of a child having the privilege of being brought up in a home ruled by Jesus Christ. This young man, Timothy, had that blessing. His mother, Eunice, and his grandmother, Lois, as we see in this, in this, this epistle, they poured into this young man. From his earliest days, he was hearing the scripture. And as soon as he had, as soon as he had the cognitive ability, he was taught the scripture. He was probably reciting the scripture. He was certainly living by the scripture under the watchful eye of these two women. We don't see any mention of his father, which is tragic on Father's Day, but his father was not a Jew. His father was Greek. And so we don't know what his spiritual standing was. But Paul commends these two women for pouring into Timothy's life. And we know that we could pour into our children until we're blue in the face, and they still might take a walk on the wild side. But the scripture does tell us if we bring up a child in the way he, is, he should go, when he is older, he will not depart from it. And so many times we see this where Christian parents are pouring themselves into their children. They're doing everything they can to fortify that young man or that young woman in the scriptures. And then they're heartbroken to see that child step away from all of it and embrace the world. But the Lord is loving and merciful. And the Lord will bring that child into contact with the sharp edge of the world. And very, very often, because they had that foundation, they hear that still small voice over the din and the, and, and the cacophony of sinful noise and garbage of the world. And they come back and they embrace that which they were taught and what they saw in their home. And so don't give up, parents. Don't give up teaching, living out your example, Praying for your kids. Yeah, they might take a, a sling or an arrow or dart from the enemy. 
as they're trying to figure stuff out. Don't buy the lie of the world. Well, they have to make up their minds for themselves. Really? Would you let your 16-year-old just jump in the, in the driver's seat of your car and let him figure it out for himself? I don't think so. No, we have experience. We have a legacy. We have the word of God. We've read it. We know it. We must teach it. And then, of course, they're going to make their own decision. we got a lot of young people getting baptized today. And I thank you, parents, for praying into your children's lives, teaching them the word of God. It's, it's a wonderful thing. And this is what he's telling them. Scripture leads us to salvation. It says there in verse 15, that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through the faith with which is in Christ Jesus. You know, some people look at the Calvary Chapel movement and they say, well, you people are whacked. You worship the Bible. No, we don't. We don't worship the Bible. You don't get saved because of the Bible necessarily. What, what the Bible does for us is this. It is the ministry of the Holy Spirit using the words of God to teach us who we are, our sinful nature, the fatal consequences of sin. The wages of sin is death. Our hopeless condition in our own strength, we can't solve it. There is none righteous, no, not one. The importance of God's death on the cross. Jesus Christ took upon himself your sins, my sins, and paid the price in full. And the way in which we attain salvation, we put our faith in that grace that God has bestowed. We get that from the word of God. We don't get that from some health, wealth, prosperity preacher. He's telling you, you got it all together now. In fact, heaven works for you. All you have to do is ask a lot with total sincerity. So not only do we have to be beggars, we have to be good actors. It's unbelievable. The Bible is true. The Bible is dependable. It's highly useful for living. Look at verse 16. This is a great scripture. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. You know, uh, a lot of people are saying, we should just focus on the New Testament. The Old Testament, it, it's not relevant. I mean, it doesn't apply to us. Come on, we're modern scientific people. Well, you know that when they talk about all scripture, that's what they were pointing to. This stuff was not codified yet. Okay, this stuff was being spoken. It was being recorded. It was being disseminated, but it was not yet canonized as scripture. When, when we read that Jesus on the Emmaus Road opened up the scriptures, revealed himself to the Emmaus Road disciples from the scriptures, he wasn't talking about Romans. He was talking about what we call the Old Testament, the law, the prophets, the poetry, the poetry books. And this is what we have to understand is all scripture. It all applies. All scripture is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction. It's, it's in, in the, new, the NIV translation, it's, it's God-breathed. God-breathed. Given by inspiration of God. Yes, of course, the authors of scripture, they used uh, their abilities, uh, their, their personalities and their backgrounds came through in that. But, but it was all designed and the truths contained given by the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in John 17, 17, as he's praying to the Father, he says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. 
This idea that God's word, what you hold in your hand or in your lap, is truth, is under full frontal assault in our day. People do not want to embrace the idea of the inerrancy and the divine authorship of Scripture. Because if Scripture is mere writings of human beings, it can be attacked with impunity. Because, well, that was that guy's point of view. But in this day and age of moral relativism, my truth is my truth, your truth is your truth. So let me tell you what this really says according to my truth. However, if you embrace the idea that the word of God is just that, his word, that everything written in this book, inspired by him, why then you have nothing to say. Your mouth is stopped. You have nothing to say but yes and amen. And that's, <laughs> that's why Jesus said, Lord, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. This truth is good for doctrine. Doctrine tells us how we should live. It's good for reproof. It tells us when we've gone wrong. It's good for correction. It tells us how to get right. And it's good, it's good for instruction, which tells us how to stay right. It's all in there. All of it. And so he finishes up this passage, and I want to finish up my remarks to you this morning with the thing that is... is um, Foremost on my mind as we go forth. And this is why I feel very confident in the man that the Lord has chosen to lead this church from this point forward. Is that we preach the word here. It's, 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 it's old fashioned, right? It's, it, it's, it's, it's boring. You're not going to build a big church with that. You're not going to fill stadiums with that. People want to hear how good they are. Not how much they need a guy who's written about in the Bible, but we've never met him. Preach the word. Verse 1 of chapter 4. I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. The nature of teaching or preaching is proclamation. It's like in the old days, they would have a herald come into town and blow a little trumpet, play a little trumpet for the people, and he would tell them, this is what the sovereign said. And preaching is very much like that. It's something that the people need to hear. It's something that saves the lost. It encourages those who are saved. As one preacher put it, it afflicts the comfortable and it comforts the afflicted. And that is the unique thing about God's word. Verse 2 says something curious. And it's something I had to learn the very hard way. It says be ready in season and out of season. What does that mean? Well let me give you a little story from my past. My brother and I as we were growing up in, in high school. Uh, we had a dear friend in our neighborhood known as Woody. And my brother and Woody and myself and then a couple of other friends. We did everything together. Most of it not good. And, uh, and then I lost touch with Woody. And I didn't see him for years and years. And then my brother, Woody was in my brother's class. My brother was one class ahead of me. My brother met Woody at a high school reunion. It was probably their 40th or 45th, I can't remember. And he was quite surprised because, you know, like a lot of people in the 70s, uh, there was a lot of drugs and alcohol. And, and Woody never seemed to escape the orbit of those things. And so he struggled a lot with those things. 
And so my brother was not, first of all, not expecting to see him at all. But when he saw him, he was quite surprised because Woody was was intimating some things about the Lord. And he was actually speaking with my brother in a way that led my brother to think, well, I don't know if he's a Christian or not, but he's certainly curious. And I think it might have been because Woody's sister was a missionary in Africa. And so my brother contacted me right after having had that evening with Woody. And he told me, Dave, you need to, you need to call Woody. You need to help him out because some of the things that he was saying about the Lord were misguided. Um, he didn't really have the, the real truth as far as uh, what it takes to be saved. I think he had a works-based type of thinking about being saved rather than salvation through grace, by grace through faith. And so Bob gave me Woody's number. And I was pastoring this church at that time. I felt like I was busy trying to bring people here to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Hadn't seen Woody in 25 years at that time. And so I kind of put it off. And like about three or four weeks after that, I got a, I got a Facebook message from a mutual friend. It said Woody had suddenly died. He had had a blowout in his heart. Or so he was sitting at his friend's kitchen table and he just died right there. And I was devastated because I'd never called him. And I don't know what his eternal destiny was at that point because I never talked to him. And I, re- I actually thought of this very verse, be ready in season and out of season. I thought it, the, the opportunity was out of season. Hadn't talked to the man in 25 years. I got a lot to do. I'm trying to save souls here. And here's this man who had curiosity about the Lord. The way had been opened. The spirit was speaking. And I quenched the spirit. And I don't know. But that time ran out for both Woody and me. And I resolved never again to take, because you never know when someone who is urging you to do something for the Lord is really the voice of God in that moment. It is the Holy Spirit telling my brother, hey, you need to make this connection here because this guy needs to hear the truth. And I quenched that to my everlasting shame. And I pray to God that I see Woody in heaven so I can tell him I'm sorry that I whiffed in that moment. Being ready in season and out of season means the truth is the truth and people who don't know it are on the way to death. And there isn't always another time. There's only this time. The Lord doesn't give us a calendar for when the day of salvation will come up. He makes it real easy for us. Today is the day of salvation. And so he concludes this this beautiful section with verse 5 of chapter 4. He says, but you, you, me, we be watchful in all things, endure afflictions. They are coming, okay? All who desire to live a godly life will suffer persecution. You be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Now, you're not all evangelists, but you can all do the work of evangelism, which is to say if that, your ministry is that person right in front of you who is wondering or doesn't know the Lord, that's your ministry. Do the work of the evangelist. Speak Christ into their lives. Let's go to him in prayer. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for this word, God. We thank you for your encouragement, your exhortation, and also your warnings about the things that we encounter in these perilous times. 
Lord, we know that uh, what we think of as persecution is only going to grow more and more difficult for those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus. I pray for every man and woman in this room that you would fortify them in courage and humility that they would not shirk from the work of the ministry, whether it be in season or out of season, Lord. I thank you, God, for the privilege to speak to these people this morning. Pray this all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Let's head out to Jordan Lake.